all of my amazing jokes like is your refrigerator <laughs> running we've missed them all yeah we're gonna end the pot if you do it a third time <laughs> that joke reminds me of home alone and you know the just the 90s in general because i think if you asked kids about that joke now they'd be like what the hell are you talking about yeah they don't have refrigerators anymore like no kid oh, even no, knows what a refrigerator is it's about crank calls right the whole culture yeah yeah, yeah, that's true. Kids definitely don't know what prank calls are. Like, we've we've moved, as a society, we've left behind prank calls, I think. That's sad, because it mostly went out of being because no one has landlines, I think. Although, my real experience with it is just Mo getting prank called by Bart, you know, every time on The Simpsons, obviously. Like, your phone shows you who is calling you uh, now, that, so, yeah, like, that's, the, the invulnerable feeling. of the time, it's some robo now. Yeah, nobody yeah. picks up a phone. In the United States, you know, it's always a robot. Yeah, yep. thanks. Ajit Pai. Is that that that's the guy whose fault it is? Uh that's the head of the what is what, it? FCC? The head of the FCC under Trump. FCC. Yeah. I have a confession to make. Sure. I barely watched any of Worlds. I I watched a reasonable amount, but I like to be honest, it was difficult for me to get into it just because i didn't know the decks very well and you know it just wasn't as fun of an experience as watching a format that i've spent a bunch of time on the incentives are not there for most people to care about what happened and still won't be because there's no standard tournament and god knows how long so it's kind of weird I did watch a bunch of worlds after I scrubbed from my tournaments at the side. (laughs) After I scrubbed from my tournaments. So I just went upstairs and like just talked to people and watched the tournament because it's kind of fun to like see it live and also watch your friends like not in the future match area, just play games versus like other high level players. You know, that's always really fun for me. Uh, I know a lot of the people. I actually, I had a lot of good conversations in Vegas despite having horrible tournaments. You know, sometimes it happens. I actually did play some standard just out of curiosity, also because Ari made me answer all those bets. And basically what we predicted was almost exactly what (laughs) the best players did, which I guess is not that surprising, although my end was a lot smaller than the other people. But I think the truth of the matter is like the way standard decks are designed nowadays, you just shove a bunch of good cards together. It's not difficult for me to figure out what the good cards are and how they should work together. So yeah. which actually maybe we should, you know, start the turn. If you search for Magic the Gathering Worlds, last year's Worlds page comes up first. Yeah, isn't that what you wanted? I wanted the picture of JD, you know, holding the trophy to put up like on stream to give context to what we're talking about. And it, it said see. it was Nathan. I think I, I found it. I've got it. I, 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 I had to like refine my search and add 2023 to it is all. XXIX. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah I, that's actually but, what I did. As I typed in Magic that's Worlds, that's a lot easier. Yeah, XXIX. Yeah. Hey everyone, welcome to episode three hundred and eleven of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Rappel. With me is Lee McLeod. Hi, Lee. Hi, Chris. This is the first take. You know? Yeah, it's the first take. I got the episode number right on the first try, as I always do. <laughs> yeah. And joining us today, 
our uh Jarvis U correspondent, Jarvis U. <laughs> or is it just Jarvis correspondent, Jarvis U? I guess that's smoother. That's cleaner. I'm a Jarvis correspondent for all podcasts. It doesn't matter which podcast. I'll be the Jarvis correspondent. Also, 311 is a prime number, so it's significantly different from 312. That's really important for our uh, episode numbering purposes. Are right, any other interesting facts about the number 311? uh primeness is generally the most interesting thing because after that there's not much you can really do with a number besides that yeah unless it's like the square root of some like very like square looking number or something like that very square looking number that sounds so funny to me something with like a lot of nines (laughs) in it or something (laughs) gen 11 has prime vibes no math involved that's true it does (laughs) feel pretty prime yeah i mean anything uh with like odd numbers at the end, it, when they gets number gets big enough, it just feels prime, regardless if it is or not. Yeah, yeah, right. If you have like a lot of like sevens and threes or whatever, then like yeah. All right, we're not trying to turn this into a math podcast. What's our topic? <laughs> we we have a few things to talk about. I think like the most important thing is just go over worlds and not necessarily exactly the decks from worlds because mm-hmm. I don't know how relevant standard is to people but i think that's one of the things that we need to be talking about today is like yeah we just watched like the biggest tournament of the year and like this is what i spend most of my time doing and like it wasn't the most interesting thing to watch the world champion the magic the gathering world championship and like all i do with my free time is play magic the gathering i think if this season had been standard uh, like for RCQ and Worlds had been in the middle of it, it would have been fantastic. Yes. Uh, but, you know, I they've been trying a lot of things. I, I think just the timing of certain events doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, obviously Modern after the Pro Tour made sense, but it, it's possible that just the RCQ seasons are too long, or they should just switch after, like, marquee events to different formats, although then people complain about having to get new decks. I think the reality is, no matter what you do, someone's going to be unhappy with the timing of events regardless. <laughs> the schedule is really, like, ungainly in a way. Like, the the lengths of time seem to be almost random, especially, like, the, the lengths of time, like, between RCs. I, this is a little different from, like, how long are the RCQ seasons, but the fact that, like... The first regional championship is this weekend. And then mm-hmm. the North America regional championship isn't until mid-December. Not North America, just the United States. United States, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Canada gets theirs way before December. But the US one isn't until like mid-December. And then the yeah. our next our next regionals is like five weeks five or six weeks after that RC. And and we I, had to wait like yeah. s- almost six months for this one. It's it's really bizarre. I think really what they should have done was contain all the RCs to like a one month span instead of letting TOs have so much time. And I think it's particularly bad because DreamHack just wanted to to attach it to all of their events. I think they really shouldn't have been allowed to or have an event that's just closer to the other ones. I don't know. It's just like these logistics are complicated and finding venues and scheduling and stuff. I like it has all of these considerations that we don't have to deal with when we're setting up. Like I want the schedule to be like this, but it is so awkward that I feel like there's got to be a better way. Like, aren't they getting money from wizards to run these tournaments? Yes. All all of the T. Okay. So 
my suspicion is the way it worked was all of the TOs bid for their like region. Right. DreamHack beat out SCG and Channel Fireball. Is my suspicion. Europe, I don't think whoever will even bid. Well, I I'm pretty sure SCG did bid. That's what I heard on the grapevine. Yeah. And then, like, after they lost, they just didn't care about running tournaments, really, except for, like, the few SCGs here and there. Like, they have no interest in, like, running a full circuit and, like, having their own organized play anymore, really. Just, like, one-shot events here and there to buy and sell cards, you know? And and definitely, we have seen some of the effects of, you know, the RC series not being run mm-hmm. by an experienced Magic Tournament organizer. Oh, yeah. I've, I have a lot of beef with some of the uh rcs like dallas wasn't great Atlanta was much worse san diego was the best but i think they just got lucky that the venue was so nice i don't even think it was like really their plan i think it just happened to work out is my suspicion (laughs) well you know we're going back to atlanta relatively Mm. soon i actually have to start planning my trip at some point in the next couple of weeks and so hopefully (laughs) within the same venue the the processes will have been a little more refined and you know we'll see yeah i also have not bought a ticket nor have i figured out who i'm staying with nor have i figured out what deck i'm going to play because another set comes out in between so like it seems kind of pointless and also like i kind of feel like since our rc's last we can just see what other people like evolve and it's kind of a waste of time for me to even like try decks out like i should just keep abreast but later I can try things out, like in October or whatever. I mean, when does the Lost Caverns of Exelon come out? It's like November 10th is the pre-release, so it should be November. What? I love how their excuse for putting Cavern Souls in that format is they're literally in a cavern. Like, it doesn't really make sense thematically to put it in that... Well, I guess it does. It's kind of it, tribal. It makes more sense, honestly, than it did in Absent Restored, let's be honest. Sure. <laughs> that, that was i think camera souls was supposed to be in lorwin but they couldn't get the rules engine to work so then they pushed it to avison restored for some reason i mean that sounds funny but i don't know cavern of souls does have the whole changeling vibe with the shimmering grotto like shimmering grotto was velisvel i think it, it was supposed to like be a changeling land or something weird in the first design file that's why so now like Obviously, Cavern works perfectly, and, you know, it will fuck up a bunch of dissipates as it did the first time around, which is, you know, (laughs) A-OK with me. Like, if you're trying to cancel all of your opponent's spells, that's fine. All right, we're not doing a good job of getting to Worlds, but I can't not. So, like, the Twitter response to uh, Cavern of Souls is getting printed. There was just such a, like, chicken little thing about like everybody was like oh my god i can't believe that they're printing cavern of souls into pioneer i guess i just don't understand what people's problem with cavern of souls is i don't think it's ever been like a a, like a particularly negative impact on a format see what's hilarious to me is that i think i've curated my twitter so well that i've seen no complaining about cavern of souls but only complaining about people complaining about cavern of souls (laughs) i've i've seen some complaining and I, I do think it's a little bit egregious with cards like Primeval Titan, but even with Primeval Titan and Cavern Souls, that wasn't even the best deck in that standard format. Like, Delver was still the best deck by so much that it didn't fucking matter. Like, sure, just let them try to farm Delver with that. It didn't even really work. We're in an era where creature, t- like, typal decks, like, small creature decks, like, could use a boost. You know, humans is... It- and but and and it's not even, like, that big of a boost because the way that you beat humans in Pioneer is not to play 
12 to 20 counter spells against them. Like that's like those cards are already bad against most of the decks that you're going to put the cavern into. Counter spell is fine, but it's not like a card that is not worth hating on because counter spells are just intrinsically weak to your opponent resolving a creature nowadays that just like solos you. I I agree. But I guess that, that's the rant about uh Cavern Souls. I guess we'll, we'll just get to the main part, Chris. Enough rambling. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Well, why don't... So, yeah, let's just go back over World's Weekend, and I guess I'm, like, a lot more interested generally in just, like, your experience in Vegas at the con and stuff than anything else. And and definitely, like, into people's impressions of Worlds and how it was run and, you know, how, how what the pro scene is like now. Um, and if we get into any specific format stuff, that's totally fine, but I don't know if any of our listeners care about standard at all right. right now can i tangent us to a caring about standard tangent yeah we can start with that yeah okay so they did announce more expansion of standard i don't know if either of y'all caught this it was kind of like I, slipped I did, in the middle yeah. of worlds uh but in february when they launched the new ravnica set karlov manor i think uh they're bringing back standard showdown which is the weekly program that gives a lot of promos out it, it was like a really cool promo back uh program back in the day of like Kaladesh era I think when standard really sucked but I kept playing standard anyway because these promo packs are like pretty cool mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's but that's a real way to support a format is to just give you stuff for playing it and that can make it relevant yeah and they're doing that and the next RCQ which we already always known the next RCQ season is standard also, I believe at Pro Tour Chicago, um, they're going to have a big 75k standard open equivalent to the limited open, but for standard instead. So that is somewhat interesting to my interests. Actually makes me a little bit more likely to head to Chicago. Like mm-hmm. that sounds like a cool thing that I'm I'm into playing in. And I mean, you know, I'll have a lot of friends in Chicago, so it'll, it should be fun. Yeah, I don't know. Some of this feels like almost like it's still like pushed to the far future that the support is actually going to be there. But I do like the idea that like, you know, that we're doing something to support standard at the store level, because I think that's super important. I hope that this ends up being enough. The store championships are all going to be standard. I don't know if that's going to annoy people or make it so that people get excited about standard but at least the the promos for standard showdowns is just like a bonus it's like new stuff it's not replacing anything it's just like if you play standard then you can get these things and if they're good enough then that will drive in-store standard play which i think like gives life to a format i just kind of wanted to touch on that because they are like putting some tangible steps towards trying to make more people play standard which you know may may or may not be overshadowed by shieldred being like 70 dollars or whatever yeah that's tough i was i was looking at it because i was like i i think i probably need two shieldreds for my scam sideboard i hope somebody has them because they're 70 dollars well we'll see how this goes it, it does feel like it is late in the process to finally be like here's what we're doing for standard and it's a couple of things when it feels like this should have come with the announcement that like standard is three years now 
And also we're incentivizing you to play it at the store by doing this. And then we're going to have this tournament. Like it feels like that all should have come when they're like, we know we need to fix standard. Here's how we're going to do it. But mm-hmm. better late than never, I guess. And, and hopefully it's enough. I also think the pipeline is just kind of messed up because in the old days, basically all FNMs I can remember were either draft or standard. Mm-hmm. And it's like if they enforce that, I think it would be a good pipeline. Obviously, some stores would just hate it and just stop like doing official FNMs. Yeah, or whatever. I, I think that one has. I think that ship has sailed because yeah, once they unfortunately, allowed, like the popularity of modern is just so huge. It, it's supplanted all possible standard FNMs. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm thinking about from like personally for me from like 2004 to 2009. Basically, there were just a million standard FNMs or draft FNMs and. Basically, that's all you had, and people did enjoy playing it. I also think probably part of it is it was probably helped by the fact that deck lists weren't so accessible, so people could just like build new stuff and pretend that it kind of worked, for lack of a better term. Yeah, that's kind of how FNM still works, I would say, generally. Like, even modern and... I don't know if people run pioneer FNMs, right. but, you know, modern FNM... You're you're gonna play against some nonsense because it's FNM and that's that's what it's there for. So the old pipeline I really enjoyed because it, it was like you know you start with standard because all the things are standard. Then you play if you want to play competitively, maybe the competitive event format is standard, or maybe it's block, which is just like half of standard, or maybe it's you know extended and that's the that that was the larger format. And it, when you learned Magic, you were like a casual player where you played that pipeline. Nowadays, I think it's really weird because of Commander, because a lot of people are just introduced to Magic with Commander, which is this gigantic mm-hmm. format with a million yeah. rules and possibilities, and it never rotates. And so people learn that, and their go-to format then is like, all right, what doesn't rotate? And they look at Legacy and Modern, and they realize Legacy is just out of their price range, and there's not enough support for it, so then they just go to Modern, and that's like also a non-rotating format. Standard doesn't really enter this ecosystem anymore. I would say non-rotating quotes because, like, printing powerful yeah, but you cards. Know what yeah, I I understand the conceptually what it's supposed to be. But I think they've kind of that boat has that ship has sailed as well uh, with Modern Horizons one and two. Essentially, is what I would say. I think before that, maybe you could make a case that, like, okay, Affinity been there since the first Pro Tour was still there since before, even at like. Pro Tour War of the Spark, it was still there, you know, like, Swirling played Frenzy Affinity, and I was, that was a deck I worked on a bunch, and, you know, this is essentially the same deck, instead of, you know, Thoughtcast, you just have Experimental Frenzy in your deck, it's not really a big shift, except the card's just slightly better, you know, so I, I think the, the idea that your deck doesn't rotate anymore is kind of false now, but, you know, that's just how it is. Yeah, but that's not really something you think of when you're, like, being introduced to the format i think that's pretty clear to us as enfranchised players who have seen like how modern has changed but i think when you're getting started and you're buying your first deck and stuff like that's a little bit invisible when it's like yeah i'm gonna buy burn or or whatever and my cards don't rotate out so i don't need to worry about it Uh, i think that you know that's a much easier sell than certainly an easier sell than your cards will not be legal in two years but mm-hmm. i'm also going to push back on rotation discourse because we're never talking about worlds it's just not happening <laughs> uh i think modern has rotated once with modern horizons 2 
I don't think Modern Horizons 1 was a true rotation. Given that, we'll see how Modern Horizons 3 pans out. But like, if you're just starting up Modern now or getting competitive in Modern, it hasn't affected you at all. You're just gonna play. You're just gonna buy the Solitudes or Griefs or whatever. Fair enough. And I mean, those ones aren't gonna rotate at least. So, to worlds, Jarvis, you want to just start like telling us about your experience at? at sure. You know, I I know you didn't play in Worlds itself, but mm-hmm. you were you were I, there and you were around the people playing in Worlds itself. I got a pretty good vibe because um, first off friend uh, from Maryland slash DC, Tommy Ashton, was playing Worlds. Uh, I was bringing him a bunch of stuff. He ended up playing Rector's Reanimator, which I kind of weirdly thought had rotated, but apparently I didn't know anything. So, like, when you ask for Atraxas and Sulphur Springs, it's pretty clear what's going on there. (laughs) So, yeah, I gave him cards at the Players Party on Thursday, actually. All my other friends were there, so I just talked to people about Standard because everyone basically had submitted their decks by that point. And a bunch of people were just unhappy with their decks given the metagame breakdown. Because they're like, oh, my deck is bad for Cesar Midrange. I'm like, bro, this is the best players in the world. Of course they're attracted to the best list of Esper Midrange. I didn't, like, I. it's so weird to me. Like, that's why me and Ari just predicted that Esper Midrange would do well. Because in our mind, that's like the pro player deck that it's like, it has great, it has pretty good mana, has strong cards at all spots in there. It's just Jund reskinned for 2023 you know like where you have to have disdainful strokes so somebody so nobody goes over yeah. the top of you yeah the other deck we thought was pretty good was like normal ramp and that's in fact what like reed and them played like not with the invasion of laura like ari and i weren't high on that and i guess the better teams weren't high on that either ari didn't play actually play a match but when i played it it just felt like the deck didn't need invasion of laura so you were just putting this card in your deck for no reason and in fact, like Reed had a fantastic run in the tournament. So did him and Gab. Gab didn't have a great day too, but I think in general their deck looked pretty good to me. And I, I'm not sure I would have come to the conclusion to put two Beanstalk in my main deck and one in my sideboard. It's a little bit peculiar, but that's a very like fine tuning thing to do, you know. Yeah, you know you spent you know somebody spent a lot of time on the deck when they have two Beanstalk in the main and one in the board. Yeah, we talked to Jake last week. They had come to the same conclusion. Sure. Like, yeah, the, the Invasion of Alara just doesn't actually help the deck. You just want to play a ramp deck. Um, and he did pretty well this weekend. I think he drew himself into 33rd place or something. Oh, like, God. exactly 33rd. I think I watched that match of him versus Reed in the Domain Mirror. And Beanstalk gave Reed a huge advantage. Then I actually watched Logan play the standard qualifier on MTGO on Sunday for a few rounds. And... People just decked out in the Domain Mirrors with Beanstalk in their deck, so it was kind of funny. So, like, if you have Beanstalk and your opponent doesn't, then, like, I ha- I think you have enough of an edge. If you both have Beanstalk, then it gets weird, and, like, someone can just deck out if you're not careful. Because there's no, like, Teferi 3 to, re- like, bounce it to your hand and stop drawing cards. There's no, like, Endurance Shuffle all of your graveyard back in. You actually have to be careful to not draw two main cards. And also, like, be careful how you use your answers. Like... I, I was told this is a very, like, Hearthstone style of game where you just have to line up all of your answers to resolve their threats one for one and, like, worry about decking or something like that. You've both got a bunch of Leyline Bindings and Sunfalls, which just, mm-hmm. like, are great at answering everything and keeping them answered. 
and so you need to yeah line your entire deck up against theirs the standard matches i watched quite a few of them now i don't really care anymore but it like i just want to watch high level magic when i can when it's in front of me so it's kind of nice to watch a few people on handshake they played either soldiers or esper control with like dissipates and memory deluges the th- i guess the theory behind esper control is my understanding was you annihilate esper mid well you're like 56 percent versus yeah, Esper midrange, it's which not is an annihilation <laughs> but game game one's pretty good for you and i think the post war games is where it gets even because then you don't have removal versus your like whatever it kind of it, it seemed to work to me like when i watched people play that deck memory deluge is really really good that was my observation but like I, I don't think there's any shortage of getting card advantage in standard nowadays which is kind of my issue with that sort of deck is what i would say like you can sort of get card advantage just by playing creatures which is you know i would prefer to do that personally because if you put creatures as your card advantage and your opponent gets mana screwed they just die if you get mana screwed versus a memory deluge deck, what happens is the game takes like 15 more turns and then you die to like Wandering Emperor on like turn 20 because they've like countered all of your stuff and drawn like six extra cards. I so. will say I was pretty into Greg Orange's deck and the fact that he was able sure. to just like walk through the Swiss with it. I think that yeah. like the, like Beanstalk Control just like attacked at an angle that everybody was focused on other things. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he ran into the problems of the format in the top eight children and stuff, but it, it, it was a very cool build. Yeah. I also was not personally impressed with mono red myself, even though like I think a bunch of people did register it. I just think your one and two drops are so awful. Like is a real issue. And then like three drops are where the power starts to show up. Like Godric is pretty good. And so is squeed dubious monarch. Then well, like... Kumana faces Kakazan is really good, okay, sure. but your other well, ones and twos are just like yeah, the like, most medium creatures. This is not a great Monastery Swift Spear deck. That was that's always been my issue with Mon- Monastery Swift Spear in that deck is like it's honestly kind of bad. Like it, the, the problem is the more creatures you put in your deck, the worse Swift Spear becomes. You kind of want like a 20-20-20 paradigm for Swift Spear to be great, and that's not what the red decks looked like really. Like they were I would say the red decks were almost like monoway decks that just happened to have burned them in them, is what I would say. I don't know. There, there are no like searing blazes or lash outs or whatever. Like those utility burn spells that kind of can do both both ways. Yeah. Where's the first red deck? Four three is like the best finishing red deck here. Yeah. Not a great showing. Not not awesome. Yeah. So I I think uh, that's why we were not high in that deck. The cauldron dick was interesting to me. I did not know about it, but apparently handshake had a version of that deck. Because Tristan Wild LaRue had built it. So they knew how the deck worked. And they just abandoned it. Because apparently one of the matchups. The expected matchups was just too bad. I don't remember which one they said. Well I think the biggest problem with it. Is if we look look at, through these deck lists in the top 8. First place Esper Legends. Oh Denik. Uh, for for Denik. Second Denic place. The problem, yeah. Well there's also a secondary. Because I did know about this deck shortly after deck submission finished. Sure. Uh, and this deck was impossible to test online because it required just so many clicks to do anything. Like you're literally drawing your deck. <laughs> I think they tested it in house on Cockatrice or whatever, probably, which is a smart way to do it. Given they expected a bunch of Danex, they didn't want to play it because it's just too problematic. Yeah, I, that that is definitely 
a reason not to play it. But it also did have the like for not just the teams sure. that were in the know about it or something. Like it's sure. just not gonna proliferate because it does not it's not gonna see any online play at all. Yep, definitely agree with that. It's kind of weird. I called out the Golgari deck as looking awful, and I still think it mostly was. It's just you know, one of the better players on Handshake happened to do well with it. Well, I guess if you asked around, you probably wouldn't expect Anthony Weed to be the one. You would expect Javier to be the one that breaks through. But, you know, props to him for making top eight in uh, what's probably the toughest tournament of the of the year, right? Like, Yes, I would say so. <laughs> yeah, you, you just look at the standings and it's just littered, like, <laughs> littered with people having losses that... You're like, how is he there? And you're well, like, there's 110 people. Someone has to lose. Yeah, yeah. Everybody in here is a name that you recognize. So some people yeah. are going to finish ahead and some people are not. Um, yeah, also props to Anthony Lee just for just like seeming awesome. I don't know. He just like watching him on coverage. He seemed like he was having a great time. He was oh, super he friendly. He's... He was very funny. Like I, I, <laughs> I am yeah. now an Anthony Lee fan. So whenever he sees me, he says, Hello, Jarvis, Lance Master Jarvis you. And he says it in like a very deadpan way every single time. So it's just like that's the type of guy he is. Like he's just very jovial, like generally very friendly and, you know, uh great guy. I think he's from um either New New Zealand or Australia. I don't remember which right now. They're the same thing. They're only three thousand miles apart. Oh, Whoa, if you say you that have, to them, they they will not like that. You've destroyed our entire listener base. Wait, no, countries. that's what I was saying. That's what I was joking. <laughs> I said three thousand sure. miles. That's like the length of the United States. Sure. Um. Anyways, he reverse swept when he was down two zero versus Reed, and that matchup seemed pr- particularly bad to me for the Golgari deck. I, I mean, props to him for pulling it out. Like, obviously, like, things had to swing his way for that to even happen because I think if you just have normal draws in five matches or five games in that matchup, Reed's going to win, like, 4-1 or, like, 3-2 or whatever, you know? Yeah. I think it's really easy to let that get to you, too. Is like, <laughs> once you're down 2-0 in your bad matchup against Reed, I think it's really easy to just be like, yeah, it doesn't really matter what I do. Like, I'll play this last one, but not even that. Like... But he stayed in it, played really tight, and I I will say I think it's funny that Willie Edel and Reed Duke did not play Golgari, and other people did, and I think their logic was Golgari is not that good. Domain is like essentially has a similar matchup profile, but beats Golgari in the head to head, and also is just like intrinsically a more powerful deck. Yeah. I, I I do think that like the Golgari the the impetus to play Golgari is is like its matchup against the other mid-range decks and it like has very efficient plays and like I think Mosswood Dread Knight is just so good in those matchups. Uh but that may not be the most important thing. Like it does feel it did look really behind against the ramp deck that one match, you know, excluded. I'm looking at Anthony's list, it's just a bunch of random one ofs and three ofs, and I'm just like, how did we get to like three Liliana, one Nissa in our main deck, two Trespasser, three Gliss? I don't know. This like seems. <laughs> I'm very confused, I guess is the best way. The only card that's like really a four of is Mosswood Dread Knight. So, you know, there you go. Some of it is, you know, Shieldred and Glissa are both legendary. So yeah, yeah, play three instead of four because that's how we build mm. decks. 
Liliana, I guess, is also legendary. Well, you can discard extra Lilianas in the first one, so that... You can do that with every legendary card, I'm just saying. <laughs> but not all of them. <laughs> Liliana of the Veil has Grandeur, which is just, you don't have to discard one of your other cards. Oh, God. Oh, oh, oh yeah. I, I, I am a big Quarrelash fan when it was in Standard. You can fetch up the, the Shockwands with that one, the water... The watery graves and blood cribs. That was that was a classic Chapin deck. Grix's Corlash. I remember playing against that in like regionals that year, and my opponent just like kept like looping Corlashes with Risefall, rise yeah. and and just like had like fourteen lands in play at the end of the game. It was neat. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Terox Bladewing because I killed people with it and limited. <laughs> yeah, Grander is like the most commander-looking mechanic that doesn't have any text at all in Commander. <laughs> It, it was weird that they designed it. I think it was a callback to Versus, actually, because I believe Versus had a mechanic very similar to that, where you could discard heroes to the same hero to, like, pump up the first one. Yeah, it's just, like, you could ch- cash in your cards for a plus one counter, essentially. By the way, the coolest deck that I think I was not expecting was Shuta playing fairies, but his he had a green splash only for a creature land, which is, like, the most bizarre thing to look at. But then I looked at his final record and it was like 5-9 or something. Like 5-8-1, apparently. Yeah, a, a Boseju, two death, clap, two death Cap Glades, two Dream Root Cascades, and then four Restless Cottages. I mean, oh, that, two, two Yavamayakos in there. That, that, that land hits really hard. Like, that's, that's the upside of it, right? I mean, it hits for four. We could have played the Blue Crane one. Wait, we could have played the Blue Crane one and hit for five. Plus three, like, plus make your other creature a 3-3. Three, three. I'm sure there's a reason that this was the one that he chose. Look, when when Picklock, Prankster, and Shieldred, the Apocalypse, are in the same deck, I have some serious questions about what's going on there. Yeah, me too. Yeah, once you get past Sleep Curse Fairy and Fairy Mastermind, you're really kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel to turn on your Spell Stutters. I think it's funny that Spell Stutter is a throwback to how people thought Spell Stutter Sprite worked. Instead of how it actually worked. So they finally, like, it's a throwback to Confusion. Even though, like, Spellstar Sprite, when it was originally printed, was kind of really good. But then became better once Morningtide came out. Morningtide was really what pushed it over the edge, is what I would say. And not not to, like, harp on this fairies deck. But there's ten fairies in it. And there's eight cards that... I mean... Spellstutter, I guess, doesn't require you to have a fairy in play to have text, but there are eight cards that like <laughs> want you to have a fairy in play. Are you counting Kaido as well? I guess Kaido wants you, but yeah, Kaido at like, least works with your graveyard trespassers too. Yeah, it's like and that. and kind of turns itself on. But yeah, I I feel like the ratios just aren't there, and like the only way to fix it is to play like terrible cards. So I I feel like the fairies deck is just not 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 where it's. The versions of the fairy deck I saw were all straight to mirror, and they also had similar issues. And I think adding creature lands solved some of the issues, but doesn't really address the core problem of the deck, which is I think most of your cards just suck, like a lot. Like there are no cryptic commands or misbind clicks here. Like what? Well, what are we doing? We're just playing a bunch of underpowered cards, really. Yeah, nothing lets you take over at any point, except you know it's, you've got Shieldred, but you could also just play Shieldred in any deck. So. Yep, agree with you. It's really hard to get away from Shieldred in Standard. That's why it's... I guess that's probably not why it's $70. But 
That is not exclusively why. It's just a strong. It's just a very strong card. By the way, I would like to point out that the handshake version of soldiers is very weird. Like, um, I I should actually bring this up now. This is not really a soldiers deck. This is a convoke deck in disguise. Is what right. I would actually say. It just happens to have a few soldiers because Harbin. They identified like, oh, Harbin's important, but like valiant veteran or skystrike officer we can just leave those at home like they just rebuilt the deck from the ground up and i thought it was very weird and then i watched how it played out and i'm like oh i guess this actually makes sense so you know props to them uh also simon nielsen i think is one of the best aggro players on the planet so i guess it makes sense because how do you get to the conclusion you should play lunark veteran when it doesn't even have the word soldier on it like that's very weird as well yeah, I mean, I think you just, you know, you're searching for one drops, right? And like, because you yeah. must, if you're going to play Knight Aaron of Aos in your deck, if you're going to play a play right. set of Knight Aaron of Aos, then you really want to curve like one drop into like resolute reinforcements into, you know, ideally any more one drops that you possibly could have at Knight Aaron of Aos on turn three. So you need your one drops. And then the question is like, what, which ones are actually good? And then, yeah, this is a convoke deck. Like we're making a bunch of tokens. We're going so wide. And those like life points off of a soul warden that also like you can cast from your graveyard if it does die. Like, I, I think that I, I think that this deck is beautiful. I think that this is so smart mm. and, and like I would never have gotten there trying to build a soldier's deck. But you're totally like this is a tokens deck. This is a Knight Errant of Aos. Like, how do we make Knight Errant as good as possible and then go over the top with Harbin? And like Harbin is we just are playing the number of soldiers we need to maybe enable Harbin. And then that lets us get over these like shielded clogged boards and stuff. And, you know, we've got four wedding announcement as part of this deck. Like we're grinding, like sometimes we kill people, but we're playing four Lunark veterans and two Yoshin frontliners, which is a pretty clear statement of like the types of games this deck is willing to play. I would like to know that autumn Oswald soldiers, but her list looks very different. It looks more traditional. There are no wedding announcements in the main. There's a random invasion of Govacon in the main, which is kind of interesting. But there's like three Skystrike officers, the Valiant veterans that I've come to associate with the soldiers deck. Obviously, Skystrike officers are a really powerful card if it lives. I guess the issue for the Handshake team was like, do you really expect your three-man 2-3 to live through like cutdowns or whatever? That's just like a bad tempo exchange. Yeah, I think that this deck is pretty specifically built with like the card cut down in mind like obviously harbin is kind of a necessity it will die to cut down but then kind of against like nothing else in the deck is cut down that useful yeah i agree like it's just like rugal bonicorn i guess sometimes that is to cut down but ideally you don't play it until it's like seven seven there are also only two in the deck so it's it's gonna be big i also think the reason you have to play harbin is if if you don't play it, it's sometimes hard to break through a board, especially when your deck is so good at, like, generating a bunch of creatures that, like, if you ever find the Harbin in a long game and they're tapped out, they just die usually, I think. Like, Harbin is just overrun, is how I would put it. Yeah, I think in one of the interviews, like, they described this as, like, a, a secret combo deck. Yep. I mean, that that's how I would play the deck without even having played a game, just looking at the deck list. Yeah. Once you put those Lunark veterans in there, like that's the key to unlocking the whole like concept of the deck. I think you're, yeah. you're totally right about that. So yeah, I guess that's standard. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> oh, k- k- l- l- let's talk about draft real- a little bit. I do think it was amusing that Yuda opened Bitter Bossman draft. That's like <laughs> straight iconic. Yeah. 
Yeah, he did. Uh, I don't think he did great in Worlds, but I do think it's funny that his signature card, the one he's probably the most known for, if you ask older players, he opened in like the bonus sheet, which is kind of nice. Like it, that card is very, very, very good in this format, and part of why is it's very easy to get rid of when you're low on life. Yeah, uh, I think in probably normal limit forms, it would not be that oppressive anymore. Like, it would still be good, but not, like, game-breaking. Whereas in this format, it actually is game-breaking because you can sacrifice it. One issue I have with this format is most of the bonus sheet cards are not fun. Like, they're just not good cards for a limited. Yeah, they're just reprints. I know I know the intention, but why did we do... We could have picked better cards that are good for EDH and good in limited. Why for did we every, have to... For every hatching plans, you get one doubling season. <laughs> I mean, I don't even think doubling season's that bad to put in your limited. Yeah, I picked, deck, I picked the wrong example. I, I'm sorry. Sure, <laughs> but like repercussion or oppression, those cards are unplayable. Uh, also, I do want to note that Necropotence isn't completely unplayable. You just have to be very careful of how you use it and what matchup you're in. I think if you're playing a Black Attrition Mirror, Necropotence is probably like your best card. Like it's just BBB draw seven at some point. And then your opponent loses because you'll sack it to like a candy grapple later. I think there's actually the ability to go deep if you understand how draft works in general. But it's not quite uh, March of the Machine level where that almost felt like a cube because of that and the battle slot. This is closer to just a higher power limited format that happens to have some goofy cards in it. Yeah, I I, I agree that the bonus sheet could be better curated for the format. I it there There is this weird thing where it feels like this format started with hatching plans is like we're putting hatching plans on the bonus yeah. sheet and then we're going to make it first pickable. And the whole format is designed to make hatching plans first pickable, oh, yeah. uh, which yeah. is kind of wild. But it would be neat if there were more cards on the bonus sheet that like gave you that feeling. Yeah, I, I think they needed to like just do a better Scryfall search or like not cater so much to the people who want reprints to be cheaper is what i would say like i opened a foil polluted bonds and i'm like is this even worth anything and i'm just like i don't even think it is i did open a foil land tax which it probably is worth something so i disagree i get i get where y'all are coming from because it is it is way better for the limited format to have a better limited experience but two months from now the fact that the prices of these cards have gone so low is going to be way better than anything like for three months of a limited format like a lot of a lot of these cards cards people really like and really want to play with i see so so a bunch of people can buy them at the store cheap later like three months from now and that's that's a good thing for stores i guess yeah it's a good thing for stores it's a good thing for players it's just not a good thing specifically for limited Sure, I, and that's fine. Like, I wish they had done a better job at curating the uncommon specifically, because I don't mind if the rares are a dud. Like, who cares? But like, I think some, I think most of the uncommons should just have been playable cards in a limited format. Yeah, and I think that's. I think we're all kind of on the same page with that. Like, it's it's just generally fine for rares to be not exciting, it, mm-hmm. but the uncommons that you see over and over and over again that just like don't have text it feels bad because it's like here's your bonus sheet card it sucks here's your bonus sheet card another nightly valor yeah oh that one's not that bad actually 
That one's actually pretty good, depending on your deck. Like, it was one of the better cards in my day one deck, which says a lot about my deck's power level, which is not great. Yeah, I opened, like, two Impact Tremors, which yeah. I refused to put in my deck. I Like, it's kind of funny. People were tricked into putting that card into their deck, and I think it's basically awful. Same for Raid Bombardment. The problem, you should really think about it this way, is... If you get to attack with five rats twice with Raid Bombardment out unimpeded, are you winning that game like in a staggering amount of time anyways? Like, why do we have to put a bad three-mana card in our deck? It doesn't take very much to make rats good, and it's mostly like otherwise playable cards that make your rats sure. really good. I think the most offending card to me on the bonus sheet is actually Ground Seal, because it it, it is both unplayable and no one wanted it. I, I understand what you're getting at. I've actually cited it in multiple times when my really? opponent just had a bunch of gravediggers. Okay, sure. Like and also like the fact that it draws a card and is bargain fodder makes it more playable than you might think. Like because specifically for the five GG six six, you just want something at so if if you've somehow not ended up with enough token or artifacts or enchantments by that point, you can put ground seal in your deck if you have like three Hamlet ones and it absolutely would be correct i think it's so. just a uh a, like a random what's that card eggs played that like sacked elsewhere flask it's just an yes elsewhere flask. well elsewhere flask let you do other nonsense that i i like second and third picked my fair share of elsewhere flasks in yeah but you you had corrupted jaws of stone or whatever no yeah. no i'm talking yeah. about in brothers war oh in brothers war okay oh there were reasons to do that too, if I remember, but I don't remember them anymore. Also, the way that card works is so unintuitive to newer players. It just messes with you if you don't know that you have to float mana first, then right. sack the flask. It's then so funny. It's well, it's not funny. Like once you learn, like oh, this doesn't work. I didn't know. Oh like, no, it's it's funny to me that it is des oh, yeah. badly designed in that way. Like I think it's it's terrible templating. Well, Shadow Moor did not have the best uh, payoffs for... I mean, Shadow Shadow Moor was just a dumb format. Like, it was just, oh, what monocolor deck do you want to draft today? Oh, I opened Jaws of Stone. I'm only taking red slash red hybrid cards, nothing else. Or I opened Armored Ascension. Yeah, Shadow Moor Limited was not the greatest. It was, it was bad. Elsewhere Flask yeah. really had a redemption arc in sure. brothers war i think just like sure. using it to like splash your you know because all the unearth costs were like uh, colored sure, costs yeah. on colorless cards and stuff like it just was super useful and you had a bunch of things that you know you could sacrifice artifacts or whatever sure. like it, it just was really good one thing i'm happy they moved away from throne of eldraine had like a secret like monocolor like payoff thing and it wasn't very fun nor was, was it terrible. very inspiring like adamant and like the hybrid knights at uncommon we're supposed to like push into that i'm really glad that you moved away from it and instead like, like triple colored legendaries yeah instead they went the opposite direction which is oh it's actually really easy to splash off color adventures off like evolving wilds prophetic prism brave the wilds yeah it, it is right you can easily do like five color green or even just like five color not base green if you if you get the pieces for it i i think the issue with these those decks is actually finding enough good cards rather than being able to cast your cards i think the the limiting factor is finding enough cards to splash 
it's it's basically all of the drafts I've done, I could have had enough fixing to cast any card in the format if I just found them early enough. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of the times it's the uncommon adventure cards that are right. like, that's the thing that you want. And if they show up, then fantastic. And if they don't, then, you know, you, yeah, you, you have less reason to to be doing that. But the the uncommon adventure cards are like heavily just like two for ones if you can do them. And so if, if you have all of the, the fixing, then that's your payoff, I guess. I mean, one of them searing wind. Imodane's recruiter searing wind. I mean, like, that's an exaggeration by a little bit. But that card not... is also just fine in mono red and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I splashed into my Simic deck in a team draft and it killed all my opponents, so. I had one mountain, one plains, two evolving wallets, prophetic prism, and a fawn. So it's just like, this is it. Yeah. Especially in a team draft, you can't pass Oh, it, no. So. I, I, it was actually debatable if I was going to put it in my deck. Then I laid my deck out and I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to just put a mountain and planes in my deck and play it. I was I wasn't sure during the draft. Then when we finally got there, Tangram's interest and died to Imidane's recruiter. <laughs> Team drafts are very fun with high level players, even though we we actually kind of destroyed them. We went five one versus their team was Stefan, Tristan, and uh, Tangram's. It was me, Tommy, and I don't remember our third right now, which is kind of awkward. But we were five and one in matches after the second round, which is then the draft because it's. I did a second draft just to, you know, hang out uh, with two Watsi employees and Tommy Ashton was on the buzzing. It was JC Tao, Hogpog, and Tommy. It was me, Sam D. Sherman, and our third was Tariq Patel, who happened to be there. And we won the draft 5-4, so clearly Watsi staff is harder than uh, <laughs> Worlds competitors. Well, Tristan wasn't in Worlds this time, but he was in Worlds last year, so we'll, 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 let, it, we'll let it slide this time. So I guess to to move on a little bit from just like, you know, worlds itself and the formats, uh, the other thing that happened, because this is like the big magic event of the year, is they announced 10 billion different magic products that are coming out. And I cannot keep track of all of them. Just like yeah, a, a, a million secret layers and universes beyonds. And I... I don't I like, you know, we knew Jurassic Park stuff was happening, but now we get to see Dr. Ian Malcolm, the the magic card. Why? What? Why is this a thing? I because Jarvis, you see there are dinosaurs on Ixalan. Uh, is is that actually the reason? Yeah, I guess it's 100 percent the reason there were monsters on Ikoria. That's where Godzilla is. Well, what's with the ash from Evil Dead or Army of Darkness? being pure still paladin i don't know there's there's zombies and magic it's there's there's always room for evil dead i guess i i I guess i i haven't seen that movie in so long like definitely agree why are there like so many things that i have to keep track of hopefully most of them don't affect me and whoever is happy about it is happy about it i think very few of them affect you although you know you might play against like dr alan grant in legacy at some point or something like that I am kind of in a weird way, like the first secret layer that has like appealed to me, the first universe is beyond thing that has appealed to me at all is the Princess Bride one that they announced. Oh, and I, I, I like that one, actually. That's one of my favorite movies, honestly. Uh, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. The cards look really good. It It is a little bit of a bummer that they're reskins instead of like getting things that, you know, fit the characters perfectly or anything. But I, you know, I'm still like 
kind of into the cards. Yeah, yeah. Rachel, the the Battle of Wits is so good. Oh, there's a Battle of Wits? Oh, that yeah. makes so much sense. Yeah. Of course they have to do that. It, I assume it has the iconic characters on it. Yeah, um, Vizzini and Wesley. Yeah, that, that scene is so good. I've... Like... That's probably my favorite scene in the movie. Of, of course, there's a bunch of good ones, you know, but uh, if you're a Zoomer and you haven't seen this movie, perhaps it is not uh, the same sensibility of movies you'd watch nowadays. I still think you should watch it. It's a cute little movie. Yeah, yeah. it's hard not to be delighted by it. Speaking of cards, the only card that I saw from the Jurassic Park thing was Welcome to dot dot dot. Then the flip side was oh, Jurassic man. Park. And I'm like, I'm just like, this is actually kind of funny and i do not believe i will ever have to play against it so i only have to look at it and enjoy how it's like kind of a funny design okay also the text like your dinosaur cards in your graveyard have escape yeah that's very very good they actually hit a home run there i think a lot of the time the the joke is not very funny but this time the joke is quite funny Uh, a a moment of pure inspiration went into creating that card and i think they, they they did a great job Whoever designed it should get a raise. My girlfriend is really into Jurassic Park, so oh, nice. I will probably be like, I don't, I don't know, make, making her a Jurassic Park themed deck or something like that with as many of these cards as I can. Some, some, something like that. I, I, I want to figure out something fun with it. The products look cool more than they are relevant. I think most of the I time. Agree. Like I just like looking at the art. And that's kind of the extent. I don't like worry about when the secret layers are coming out or what I'm buying or what I can open in packs until it's like in front of me. Yeah, none of these are like impactful to standard pioneer or modern. So they just kind of exist. And there's so many of them that I am not going to try to keep track. And I don't think there's mm-hmm. a real reason to. Um, My buddy Dave Long, he's a huge horror film fan. He said he's absolutely buying the Evil Dead secret lair. It's like... I'm like, uh, I guess that makes sense for you, but I have no interest in buying it myself, so great for you. Yeah, they'll, they'll eventually find a thing that they can insert for everyone. I'm not sure what it would be for me. It'd be kind of weird. Uh, yeah, I don't know what mine would be either, but it's got to be up there. <laughs> everyone has I, a price. Yeah, I've already bought a secret layer, like one of the first ones, before I realized there was going to be like 50 a year. I, I also bought one of the first ones. It was a rat's one because it was Ear of the Rat. I bought the Yargle one. I liked the Yargle one because it had a lot of like random cards for cube that I liked. Uh, it, it, like the the source of the Yargle source of plowshares is yeah. uh, XJ Cloud's favorite because it's, he loves frogs. So yeah, it's it's a know. it's a really good one. I think it's my favorite too. I've only bought a small handful, and the only one that I like went in on was I got a set of the Magali one because like all of the cards were beautiful and potentially useful and uh, you know i've played the elvish mystics i've played the forests so i've gotten my money's worth out of it nice do you play them in green devotion i do play them in green devotion yes uh i don't know what else i you know we've only talked about like worlds a certain amount what what else like the tournament hall experience like how was the the con itself like what what was that like from the inside I don't know if you've ever been to a Grand Prix Las Vegas, but this was run at the same place. Uh, it was a Las Vegas Convention Center near the end of the Strip, which is fine. That's like rel- relatively accessible. You can walk to food. It's kind of a trek of a walk, but that's because like Las Vegas is like urban sprawl, you know, because it was a desert. Like so, they just could build out however they wanted to. 
so there there was a bottom floor and a top floor the top floor is where worlds was but they were like right next to each other you just had to go up an escalator and you were there so it's kind of nice inside the world's hall there was actually a bunch of like art exhibits and the like big like wizards like you know uh here's what we're going to do stage and then when you went past that there was worlds so they had a lot of stuff there daybreak actually showed up and had a booth i talked to torben the guy who took over uh community manager at daybreak for mtgo very nice guy and i i think he's going to try to do a bunch of new stuff it seems like daybreak is really really putting their foot forward I don't think Watsy asked them to come, but they just showed up and, you know, had a booth. And they demoed a new, like, format, which was, like, Vintage Cube meets Jumpstart. And they called it Super okay. Jump. So I just birded a few of them. I didn't really have an interest in playing, but, like, there were, like, the most random cards in it. Like, there was, like, a Brim as a Mayhem Devil, and then, like, the person had, like, a Mox Pro and a Mox Ruby in their opening <laughs> hand. So it was just, you know, very, very uh, interesting. And I guess... We'll probably see that on MGO at some point. I'm not sure when. You know, really nice. Also, IHOP had a booth, which was very weird. <laughs> the yeah, pancake I I synergy that. thing. I, I don't get the... You could apparently get free sleeves if you're one of the first 32 people to line up their booth. I do not need more sleeves, and I certainly probably do not want the sleeves that they have because I'm sure they're... I think they're um, probably a collector's item. Yeah, I don't understand the brand synergy between Magic the Gathering and IHOP, but... I mean, I won't lie. I used to go to IHOP after FNMs because it was like the only thing that was open on the in like Rockville on the bike because IHOP opens very late, sometimes mm-hmm. 24 hours. That is so a pretty specific experience. But, but I think that's like a non-zero amount from like the old FNM days for a bunch of people. And plus, who hates pancakes? Like basically no one. Yeah, nobody that, you know, I would get along uh, with, I guess. I so, I will say I agree with you. Like Daybreak has been doing an awesome job, yeah. and I do appreciate the way they've been running Magic Online. Like a lot of good decisions, a lot like very responsive to stuff. The all access tokens on set release, which seem like a thing that maybe just kind of an ongoing thing, which I think is a huge. I've complained so many times about how awful, like the week one. Yeah. How do I get cards week one on Magic Online? I can't rent them. I can't buy them like they're just not there. And the all access pass as a, a patch over that has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and yeah, I, I want to give respect where it's due and, and appreciation to the efforts that I, that have been helpful to us. Yeah, I don't even play Magic Online, but every time <laughs> I see the news, Daybreak is just doing something good. And it's been nice to see, mm-hmm. especially since, you know, that has just not been the case for many years now yeah as for like the tournaments they ran it looked like they were pretty well run actually generally speaking i don't i mean obviously like when you have like 400 people in a tournament it's going to go to time like that's just the nature of the beast but besides that like it was well run except i have one bone to pick for the 100k open on friday a bunch of the packs had six on commons and it was just allowed to stand and i'm just like this is this is so unfair. Like, I mean, obviously, like, you don't know who's getting them. It's obviously not aligned like that. But on Saturday, they fixed it by, like, saying, if you open a pack that has the wrong number, you can keep it. But we're going to give you another pack to go into your pool. Which I think is, a, that's a totally reasonable solution. I wish they had just done that on Friday to begin with. Cause I, I heard a story where that on Friday, 
they didn't have a good way to fix it or they didn't want to think of a good way to fix it at the time but whoever the head judge on friday was they're just like we're just gonna let it stand we do not have the manpower or the willpower to do this right now yeah so that that's my major complaint i mean obviously like tournaments in general sometimes there's a problem if you don't come up with the solution fast enough then you kind of just have to let it go i am glad that they fixed it by saturday and in fact, on Saturday, if all of your packs were messed up like that, they just gave you a pre-reg pool. I think they didn't have many pre-reg pools, not enough for everyone, certainly. They only had like emergency ones for that purpose, which I wish all of the pools were pre-reg, but that is just a lot of work if you don't have like the optical scanner that CFB used to have, which I think is just a relic of the past where it costs too much money or whatever the issue is now. That is too bad, and that is definitely like a tournament integrity failure. It did seem like, you know, for what it's worth, that people were enjoying a big sealed tournament. And, uh, you know, most of what I saw from it was just people having fun. And a lot of the big names did well. Like, Ben Stark was a crushing. I like to make fun of Ben Stark, but, you know, this format seemed to really sing to him. Like, I I think it's just a bread-and-butter limited format where... If you draw a bunch of cards and kill all their stuff, you can win. That's just the way Ben likes to play Magic. You know, he's he, I think he's a control part player at heart. I think a lot of the older limited players are like that. Like Siggy and them. They would rather just kill all their opponent's stuff, draw cards, and figure it out later. Rather than, like, try to play a curve-out game that might not work all the time. I mean, that's just kind of how Magic sets in the past were designed. Yeah, like, 8th <laughs> edition and ninth edition draft for my money, which were formats I drafted a lot, worked like that almost exactly. Like, two and a blue draw two cards was a good card in those formats, you know? They did make, especially in this set, Mm -hmm. but, like, over time, they have made pump spells so much better that it has, like, kind of changed that, you know, just, like, there's there's a lot more one-mana pump spells that do some, like, real wrecking ball stuff in games, but especially in this format where a lot of the pump spells are adventures, so you also get a creature at the end of the day. They, they've done a, a good job of like making playing tempo games in limited like a really relevant part of even the sealed format i think i still think the tempo decks are slightly better than like the controlling blue decks but i do think the tools are there if you want to draft or play controlling you just have to be mindful of your curve of course like you can't just sit there and like your first place like draw two on turn three as an instant that's just not going to work you got to cast a rat out or a candy grapple or something i i guess the last thing is i watched a lot of the showdown the ragavan showdown because tommy was playing my deck while i was in the ptq because the problem is for tommy there's not actually any events he could play on the day after like scrubbing out of worlds in day one so the only option for him and nathan stoyer was to play the ragavan showdown I quickly go 0-2, but like round three of the showdown is still going on, or round two is going on. So I walk over Tommy. Tommy wins his match. Then I see Nathan playing, so I walk over, and Nathan's playing Scam again, as he's wanted to do. Also, I'm pretty sure Nathan just did no testing for this event, of course. Like, why would he? And Scam is still good, you know? Like, why would he deviate from that? So Nathan wins his round two. Then round three, Tommy and Nathan are sitting next to each other. They're not against each other. So I can watch both matches at once. So it was great. (laughs) The Ragavan, whatever whatever it's called, Ragavan Showdown, whatever, it's definitely did seem layer secret layer Ragavan Showdown. Definitely yeah. did seem like spectacularly high EV, and also some people got like 
I you know we so I don't remember whose tweet it was, but there it was Gavin. Was it Gavin? Uh, yeah. Al- Alpha Frog played two matches and went five zero. Yeah. So everybody got a buy round one of this five round thing, and then he had a no show, and then he had another opponent who like came late so then he only had to win one game against them and so he only won like two actual matches and then he got it i i watched tommy play and tommy had to go to sudden death and the forcing mirror because of course like for for those of you who don't know the way sudden death works in single limb is at the end of five turns whoever has the higher life total wins so tommy just stalked his handful of solitudes despite having the one ring and just solitude all of his own stuff and said go and won the game yeah and also the way i built the deck was i just added two time warps from the 60 card deck to go to 62 and tommy's like oh should we be concerned about decking i'm like if you're concerned about decking just add a 63rd card just add endurance it doesn't matter and then tommy just went 5-0 <laughs> because like i i kind of think the secret is i don't think it really matters what you put in your 4c deck if you have all of the core cards like i literally do not believe it matters so like if someone just claims oh my deck is broken i went 5-0 i'm like no, you have most of the good cards, so those cards are good, and it doesn't matter what else you do with your deck. I agree. And from the other side of the table, I've been playing mostly Scam lately. It doesn't matter. The cards that matter are always Solitude, Fury, the One Ring, Beans. Like, th- these are the cards, Ren and Six. Like, these are the cards that matter. The other stuff all, like, cost five mana or is lower impact or whatever, and it's just, like, not the core part of the game. It could be any anything at that point. And mm-hmm. uh, you, you control the cards that are the broken parts of the deck, and if they ever <laughs> get to start using them, then you probably lose. And if they don't, then kind of none, none of the other stuff matters that much. Yeah, uh, Tommy went 2-1 versus him. Unfortunately, his... Lost his game was round one of the 32 single elimination for like the brainstorm. But he basically said he got grief scammed in games one and three. And, you know, I built the deck with four Fury, four Solitude, four Beanstalk, four One Ring. So that's like maximum. Obviously, it's 63 cards, but the ratio doesn't change that much. So I think like you're basically as good as you can be. Plus, I had two Veil of Summer and a Celestial Purge in my sideboard. And the very clear card to cut from my deck in a post game is just Time Warp. You do not need that card for scam. That is not what the game's about. And in fact, and I'm going to try to grab this and make a video of it, but I do have a, a clip of a, ga- a match that I played against scam. Oh, I played against four color this weekend where I was clocking my four color opponent, had a void walker and like a grief and stuff in play. And I thought seized them and I saw time warp. Oh my so God, I that's so good. <laughs> took the time warp, attacked for six, time warped and then killed my opponent. What was this a post board game? I don't even remember now. I think it was probably I mean, pre-board because I don't think it okay. makes any sense to have your time warps in no, like, after you, boarding. If you're casting time warp with stuff out versus scam, you've already won the game. Like yeah. it's completely irrelevant. <laughs> Having like, stuff out versus scam is like yeah. you're you're doing it. <laughs> it's really fun to watch. Tommy said he hadn't played a bunch of four C, but obviously he understands like what the deck's supposed to do. I watched him play and like obviously his play is very crisp. He did not really go to time except in that four C mirror. But that's because the game, each of the games lasted like 15 plus turns. And I'm not really sure how you're supposed to avoid that unless if you literally play like a lunatic. Yeah, it's, you know? it's like impossible. I I will not be registering any four color variant. I, I, CQ. I will still. And I understand the risk that comes with it. I have conceded rounds not to get into the draw bracket and still made top eight in recent RCQs, and I think that's just correct. If yeah, you, that's the way to do it. People need to understand that. I don't think I've ever talked about that on the podcast, but 
you just never want to be in the draw bracket. No, because the problem is you'll play against someone who's probably actually slow. My opponent, who I almost drew with, wasn't actually very slow. It's just the games took forever. Mm-hmm. I just decided to scoop because, like, he was slightly ahead, and you know, like, that's fine. And your opponent's never going to scoop, so. Oh, well, I mean, maybe he would have, but he was slightly ahead. Also, maybe I get some goodwill later in a different tournament, you know. I'm just going to avoid that situation entirely I... and play decks where the, the game is mostly decided by turn four or five. Yeah, I mean, Scam is quite good. Like, if you look at that top 32, like, what qualified, it was just everywhere. The fucking Scam deck was, like, an enormous amount of the field. Oh, also, shout out to Nam Dang and Onrog for making the finals. Did did they actually play out the match for, like, Glory? They or Yeah, they played out the match. I know that okay. the, like, the top eight was, like, mostly a split, but okay, the, sure. but there, because there was a lot of money on the line with the, the value of those promos. I would say that, like, that top eight, like, if you split it, that's, like, equivalent to, like, winning a Pro Tour or top eighting Pro Tour, at least. Maybe even winning. I, I didn't work out the numbers. I remember the I last one. I don't even know one, how like, much so, Brainstorm is worth. $30,000 is what is I heard. Really? Good lord. The card itself is 100 is what I heard, and the painting's 20 Okay. Well, then I have no idea, but that's, that's so, like, nuts. That's completely yeah. nuts. Well, the problem is there's only like four of these right. in the world. So, and like, the same and person has the same store has all four now. <laughs> they have the. It's very funny to me. They they just bought it all. I guess they just showed up and tried to aggressively get it. You know, because yeah. they're gonna like find someone who has a deep wallet probably to pick it up. But anyways, shout out to uh, you know people doing well that we know like Nam, aka Namer Squats, aka Scammer Squats. Although you didn't play Scam, you played Living End, which is the opposite. Shout out, shout out to Living End, your boy. You I know? I mean, it, deep respect to somebody who manages to have such a run. I know. I, I've worked so hard on it. If I get to a point, like, it, it, I would be surprised if I had gotten the matchup against Scam to 40% for, for Living End. Like, I'd feel good if I had gotten it to 40%. And, and it's just too bad. Like, I can't justify playing the deck right now. Like, Scam is just too powerful and the matchup is too bad and you have to beat scam to win and you can't so that's my my living end well apparently apparently maybe it's skill diff yeah uh actually i'm i'm gonna check what he played against he played against burn then two teamer rhinos then scam and he won all four matches but obviously three of those matchups are just like pretty good for you I mean, I guess burn is like weirdly like can be hard. I think I burn think is actually like really good for a living end if you know how to play it. Like you, you certainly can lose, but I think you're like a you know you're you're definitely favored, and I think you're like above fifty five percent at least. Okay, so Nam also played two of the showdowns. He did not qualify in the first one, but he qualified in the second. So I'm kind of I want to see how many times he played against Sam. I guess is my question. You know. You can get lucky, and especially game ones, like if you just have the right hand and they don't do a good job of disrupting it, like you, you know, or you just draw the Cascader, they don't put a Voidwalker in play in time or whatever, like you definitely can get there. But then the the, pro- the big problem that I've run into is just like post board, they still have their Voidwalkers, but they also have Chalices and they also have some number of additional graveyard hate. And it's just like too, too much. Oh, he played three events, but one of them didn't get posted. So you went... 312140. I believe Onrog only played one. He just first shotted it with 
Cosmic Rebirth, which I will still talk shit about because I believe that card fucking sucks. But no, uh, but congrats to Anurag for for yeah. taking that down. Like that's pretty awesome. I do question how hard people are trying trying after they split, but you know, sure. You know. But getting there is still very. I, yeah, I don't know. No, it's still sick. Because all of the players by that point are high caliber, I think, or reasonable caliber, that you're not going to get that many free wins. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. I'm just looking real quick. All right, Nam in the first one he lost to, he lost to Jeskai Breach. I don't know how that matchup is for Living End. Uh, pretty good. Like, they have Teferi, but that's kind of their only relevant card. And if they don't Teferi you, you, like, your cards match up pretty well. Like, Force of Negation and an Instant Speed Wrath of God, like, matches up pretty well against what Breach is doing. He lost to Hardened Scales in one of them. Uh, Lee loves to hear it, I suppose. That matchup I mean, is bad. That matchup is hard for living in. Is it because of Arkbound Ravager, mostly? It's, yeah, Arkbound Ravager, like, the Ozolith, like, just can make their board, like, never go away. Like, Walking Ink Ballista Moth can Nexus. kill you. Like, Inkmoth Nexus can just murder you. Like, it's just really hard. Good God, Nam beat Etron in the one he qualified in. Which, that matchup seems actively bad to me, but... It depends on exactly what their like main deck configuration is. When I I lost to it in the finals of like the the open that I top aided many like the like when Etron was the sure. the first time Etron was a thing and I was like this should be like like on pay you know it's like expensive dumb creatures and a bad mana base uh but then it's oh the at that point they were just main decking four chalices and four relics and this person has three chalice one relic one mindstone which yeah I guess like that's not they, that bad sure but i guess once they know it's living in then it becomes a lot harder because they're not going to keep like a medium hand that doesn't work right right but especially and sure. i mean i guess i don't know if these were open deck lists but like no it, they weren't not. yeah they weren't yeah so like you know game one maybe they like they're they're unlikely to mull really hard for their small amount of hate and then post board you're set up to beat a hate card or two yeah so you know congrats on him i just i just wanted to see what he actually played against it did take him three tries but that's the nature of single one you know it's just you know even if you're better even if your deck's great it's still easy to take a loss i'm excited to play modern modern rcq i wish i could play we have a an rcq this saturday jervis that's like two miles from my house and i can't play in it you can't <laughs> no I you're can't. just you're busy I, I am busy i have other plans with my family i usually am the one with other plans i know right how dare i have people <laughs> i care about i will be driving 100 miles to play a two slaughter which is more than i usually drive but kind of just would rather play a two slaughter than one slaughter because it's you know twice as likely i'll qualify i will say so one other thing that i want to mention about worlds is that I think it is weird the way they hand out the random secret lair prizes. Oh, yeah, that, that was weird. I, I, I think know. it's very odd that they have people, like, walking around the convention center and then they spot somebody and, like, hand it to them because I think that, like, you know, obviously there's the, oh, they're favoring creators or whatever, which is probably true, but I think mm -hmm. there's a much more insidious thing, which is that if you have somebody walking around a convention center, all of their internalized biases are going to influence who gets handed this like $600 to $1,000 card. And, yep, yep. Uh, you know, people who are 
neurodivergent and not being as visible or whatever, people who are shyer, people who are people of color and stuff, people who are like less represented, I think are just like less likely to get quote yep, randomly yep. handed a prize. And I think it's a really yep, bad yep. way to deliver that much value to people. So I, I hope that the system changes in the future. Yeah, I don't. I didn't even know that they were handing out secret layers as stuff because I didn't even see anyone giving them out, but I also didn't try very hard to be aware of that, I guess, is another way of putting it, you know? Yeah, and I don't know what you're supposed to do if you're supposed to, like, be more visible, wear a, you know, right. a costume Jipe or whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just yes. pray that the people handing out the promos aren't deer. I mean, yeah. you got pretty good odds there that they are not dear but i i think it's a bad way to hand out because and, and then you know yeah you weren't even aware that it was happening but then on twitter like keep seeing people posting like like shaking crying like just got handed this and it's literally like a, a maybe a thousand to two thousand dollar card which is cool right. i like you know door prizes at events like this like sick but i i think that distributing them in a way that allows biases to like so easily influence who gets them is a bad practice so yeah worlds las vegas um i guess my rant slight rant is i don't really like las vegas as a city and i am puzzled that it exists because it's just like a vacation town in the middle of the desert and also like to me table games are probably probability simulators where you are unfavored to you are favored to lose money i'm just like First off, I understand how math works, so it's not very interesting to me. Second off, like, there's nothing interesting in casino for me. Like, literally. It's it's just... it's. I guess that's my problem, not the problem of Vegas. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir over here, at least. Like, I saw multiple times on my timeline people like, alright, I've had my fun, I would like to leave now. <laughs> Let's not go back. The, the, the fun part of Vegas to me is the cheap restaurants, and the cheap real estate, like, it's actually fairly cheap to live there or to, like, do, like, things that are more expensive in other places because you're subsidized by people just throwing a lot of money into slots or whatever, you know? I, I get kind of the draw to Vegas, but it does not work on me at all. <laughs> I, I prefer to not be in Las Vegas. Yeah, I mean, a bunch of people... Um, moved there from California recently, like Logan Nettles and Tom Martell. Actually, I was staying with Logan. That's I was trying to reduce the costs of going there as much as possible because my plane ticket was so expensive. Yeah, because I forgot people love to go to Las Vegas from yeah. the DC area. Like, if you live anywhere big, I think just a flight to Vegas is probably expensive. I had the opportunity to so to go to Vegas earlier this year because the the qualification uh nationals for the united states in flesh and blood was in vegas and i could have played in a bunch of qualifying tournaments for that and qualified for it it's like i i believe i could have done that but i did not make any effort to because I, I just wasn't enjoying the set at the time and i also did not want to go to vegas especially with yeah, other but, trips lined up later in the year sure the, the the nice things about vegas are the people and the cheap nice food like the the food is relatively cheap and pretty good because that's how it's designed as a city. But yeah, um, there was also a secret party Sunday evening at Tom Martell's and that was a lot of fun. Basically, everyone showed up, uh, which is 
you know, eventually I left because I had an early fight, but there were a lot of people there that I hadn't seen in so long, which was kind of cool. Yeah. I, you know, I definitely had my fair share of FOMO from this one. Well, I I think it's a pretty safe bet. They'll go back to Vegas next year if you really want to go. I'm not like, going to bet I, on that, but, you know, <laughs> I, I'm sure they're going back to Vegas. They've gone back to Vegas like the last five years. I think I can tolerate going to Vegas once per year, especially if I have people I want to see, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. My, I can also, my, chances are I'm going to see those people most everywhere. Sure. If they sent, they put an event out. I mean, my, my cousin, well, not really cousin, but that's, Ben Yu was there, but he's always lived there because he plays poker, so. And he played the limited open he made day two because he was actually really afraid because he hadn't played, like, RL Magic for four years since, like, before. He's like, oh, how much of the rules have changed? I'm like, uh, not much. And then he also said, I'm afraid of getting draws. I'm like, well, that I can't help you with. Yeah. You just have to, you just have to play fast enough if that's... Gotta get that mental clock ticking. Yeah. One last thing before we go. Uh, out of all of the new stuff they spoiled, they showed, like, there's more Lord of the Rings stuff coming out now. And some mm-hmm. of the cards are, like, getting a new frame. And this like scroll work frame oh, is so the bad. most like half baked thing I've ever. It, they're so ugly, unbelievably ugly. Like it, the, it, they're supposed to be like aged or whatever, but it's just like a a, weird, a shitty filter, like a, a desaturation dust filter thrown over the art, and then like there's like a scroll work frame, but it's supposed to look like weathered. But then there's like a straight like black cutoff as it goes to the like but it's not just like the black frame of the card it's like the art box is smaller so everything like looks the wrong size and totally incoherent visually (laughs) they're they're really bad and it's like i can't believe that this is the design that you're putting on like lord of the rings cards like this huge ip that you've gotten to develop a product for and this is what the special versions of these cards are gonna look like like come on I'm going to echo everything you said here, CCR, but also, did you see In the Darkness Behind Them, the saga? I didn't. Okay, I, I'm going to I'm gonna send you this image because it has many of the flaws you describe, but also <laughs> it's very clearly unbalanced because the right side of the car, card has that giant black like hole oh, where God. the art goes, but this it's looks... not on the left side of the card <laughs> because that's this where the saga hideous. texts are. <laughs> This looks hideous. Holy oh, that's shit. a disaster. Yeah, that's just really bad graphic design. That's real like graphic design is my passion energy here. Oh, also, this is not a real card, right? Like this is from a commander set. So some of these, I don't know which ones. I don't know if it's all of them, but some of the new Lord of the Rings cards will be modern legal. Maybe all oh, of them, oh, right? Okay. right? No, not all of them. So the do we have to go into this? It's so it's a, confusing. It's like a bundle or something for holidays. And it's got all these shitty looking cards we just talked about, which are basically uh, think about Innistrad, Crimson Val, Midnight Hunt, like double feature. It's basically that. It's just repackaged cards with a bad filter over them. I hate I hated that set so much. Like yeah, This is this set part two. They're just doing another I, one for some reason. In addition to all the reprints, you can also open new printed cards which are either going to be inserted into the Lord of the Rings set, Tales of Middle-Earth, or the normal one, the, the one the One Ring is in, 
or Lord of the Rings Commander. And they have different expansion symbols. They come from the same set, like quote-unquote, but the ones in the Commander set are legal. The one in the modern legal set are modern legal, and they don't cross over. It's the weirdest, most bizarre thing they've done. And to be fair, I think there's only five modern legal cards, and they all look pretty bad. The humans one is kind of sick. Yeah, but it's it's terrible. It's probably <laughs> bad. It's well, hard to vial in a seven mana creature, I guess. So you you at least have me to tell you how the sets roughly work when you can't keep track of it all. <laughs> well, I'll wait until somebody plays something against me, and then I'll know that it's legal. Sure. Will you? With honestly, no, if if, I mean... if a random person at RCQ just played a card against you and you hadn't seen it before, but it was right after the set released, I would call a judge. If it's, if good, it's good, I'll call a judge. <laughs> if it sucks, then whatever. We'll see. They're not. It's not going to be good. Okay. So you're just gonna like shrug and be like, "All right, I guess that's fine." If I grief you and I see a saga that costs blue black two two blue black red in your hand, I'm just gonna go with it because I'm not gonna. I'm not yeah, worried yeah. about where this is going at all. <laughs> you might have the option to cast it with Dothy Voidwalker, and you just don't even read it. Yeah, I mean, it costs five. I, I maybe. It doesn't seem. I mean, I guess you get a bunch of three-three wraiths. That's actually a lot. Too bad they aren't street wraiths. Then they would have small block for your opponent. They have menace. That's not. That's not the same. But no, but it works better against non-swamp decks. But if you're stealing it from a black deck, then I didn't think this through. Anyways, I think we've touched on everything i don't know i don't really know what this episode was so coming up with a title for it will be a, an interesting exercise in identifying what we actually talked about today worlds and stuff one one exciting thing it's actually if you book a southwest flight by thursday it's 50 percent off so i might do that a southwest flight to vegas wait no. what are we talking about to anywhere i think oh so I might and I might just fly to Atlanta then. Yeah, exactly. That's why I wanted to bring it up. Oh, it's for any. It doesn't have to be like you know this weekend. It's just. I it's will double check. Looking at select flights between ten twenty four twenty three and three six twenty four. So oh, theoretically, it could work. Yeah. Could go to Atlanta on the fifty percent off train. That, that might be that might be the move. I wanted to bring it up for y'all. You can find it on Southwest Twitter as well because obviously they're going to tweet that and try to get it going so if you're going to go to Atlanta, maybe you can get a cheaper ticket i will try to do that that means i would have to decide if i want to go to atlanta in like two days instead of two months wait you're aren't you qualified for atlanta i am yeah qualified. he he still might decide not to go because i've seen people do that because sometimes it's not very fun if you're not it, it depends on if you're excited to see people i feel like for a week yeah it's mostly gonna be that that's really what it's going to be. Just how the vibes are going to go. And and honestly, I'll probably have fun, but I don't, I don't know. We'll see how I'm feeling. The, the The problem is that, I don't know if listeners or CCR understand that the, the draw of the tournament or qualifying for the Pro Tour or whatever is just to do, do it for me. Yeah, I know. I don't care. Mm. So it's mostly just like going to have a good time. But we will have fun. But it also costs money. I understand. We can have fun at home. It's fine. Fun at home, but it's not as fun as fun with people you don't see very often. 
Look, I've got a whole two days until this 50% promo runs out, so I'll figure it out. Flip yeah. a coin, see yeah, how you feel while the coin is in the air, do that old thing, and, and then you'll know. And then decide what the coin says. That's you don't you don't flip the coin to let the coin determinate. You let the coin you flip the coin so you, then you know in your heart of hearts what you want the coin to land on. That's the of course the bit. decision. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks everybody for listening. We really really appreciate your time. Chat, thank you so much for hanging out. Uh, if you want to catch the podcast live Tuesday evenings on my stream, I'm also streaming, you know, Thursdays and Saturdays and Sundays usually uh getting the challenges in each weekend day which have been like going pretty well i mean you know i've been getting killed in the challenges a little bit but the streams have been going really well so you know people want to come and hang out with those uh you know we're, we're building a little community and stuff um jarvis is streaming as well uh jarvis where can people catch you best place is twitch at jarvis you i guess the website formerly known as twitter jkyu06 uh, I do have we, a Discord. We just say Twitter on this show. It's funnier if you say it that way. It's like the artist form we notice as Prince, you know? And now known only by a symbol. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it does look like a porn yeah. tab that's open, especially with the little, like, I, I, red I know. thing. Yeah, show. It, it, it just looks like I have porn open. Like, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, uh, I have a Discord. You can join it. You can talk there. Sometimes nonsense is afoot there. Those are the the best places to find me. Yeah, then you'll catch him every now and then as a, a Jarvis correspondent on a podcast. Yeah, a few podcasts. There, there is a few. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks, y'all. Appreciate it. Everybody else, have a good week. Bye. Bye. Bye.